Five Steps to Becoming a Millionaire. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Yeah, Brian, I'm excited about this show because it seems like out there in the YouTube world and the blog world, people really love how-tos. You know, how do I, uh, you know, trim my rose bush? How do I smoke a brisket? How do I fill in the blank? We thought one of the things that would be interesting from our experience is if we shared with our audience, how do I become a millionaire? What are the steps I can take to do that? And why should that matter is I think we have such a unique perspective. You guys know... My entire career has really been influenced by this book right here. You know, I've got a signed copy right behind us, but then I have my working copies that I have worn these books apart. This is not even my original. I have worn it apart, given it away to Uh other people. So, But I love The Millionaire Next Door by the late Dr. Thomas Stanley. Just incredible, incredible resource for me. And then his daughter... You know, because Dr. Stanley unfortunately passed away, I believe, in 2015. That's right. Um, it's, it's, his daughter kind of continued the work. She's also a, a doctor mm-hmm. um, from the University of Georgia. Yep. She's brilliant. We know Sarah. So we even had her on the show. If you want to go check that show out, love the research that's in what Sarah did as mm-hmm. well, because this is telling you how millionaires think, how they work. And then, of course, one of our neighbors, Chris Hogan, Everyday Millionaires, mm-hmm. also kind of continues on that legacy of showing us how do millionaire minds work. And then I was like, we have the perfect resource. We work with hundreds Mm -hmm. of millionaires. Why can we not turn them into a resource for us and make it a dynamic? And what I think is so exciting is when you think about the folks that we work with at Bound Wealth, they tend to be financial mutants. They're the ones that look at finance, look at the world a little bit differently than everyone else. So it would be crazy of us not to pull them and say, hey, what do you think about this question? Or what do you think about this topic? Uh, and so that's exactly what we did. Well, think about it. They all have, usually have good incomes. Now, it doesn't have to be huge incomes, yep. but they definitely are good incomes. So they, they chose the right careers. Number two, they save like mutants, meaning they're disciplined. Deferred gratification is something that's just built into them. And then they have a healthy net worth building habits that I feel like, look, I'll tell you, there's a reason you guys are watching in the abundance cycle where we're Johnny Appleseed planting seeds all over the country, and now we're kind of harvesting the fruit of it. I love seeing how this all comes together, but I wanted to peek behind the curtain and say, why do we, instead of have to wait every decade for a good book to come out, why don't we have a dynamic resource that every year I can ask our listener, I mean, our clients... And a lot of them are money guy clients. Matter of fact, that's who we did reach yep. out to was our money guy clients because I knew you guys would appreciate being part of the show. And we said, tell us what we're thinking, mm-hmm. our, our resources, our questions. I want you to answer these things so we can actually glean some information or some insight and make these teachable moments. And then figure out what are those steps? How can we take all that insight that we were able to glean and turn those into steps that you can use on your wealth building journey? So before we go through the five steps to becoming a millionaire, I wanted to dispel the biggest lie that Americans have about millionaires. Oh, that just sounds juicy. Well, when well, you and, I, and, I, and look, I want to be confessional on this: is that I grew up in this household. I have great parents. I grew up. I had. I, I consider it a great childhood. Don't come from a lot of money, sure. but my father always did have a little bit of an edge 
on people who had success and the fact that this is the biggest lie. He said, you know those people got it because they lucky they lucky silver spoon. They, 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 were, they were born, born into the right it. family, They were born right? into it. So I grew up with this being told to me. Truthfully, I didn't have my realization that wealth was not all inherited until I started my first public accounting job right out of college. I was doing tax preparation, and I started doing a lot of tax returns. I was like, these people pay a lot of taxes. Uh-huh. Wait a minute. What's, what's going on here? What do they do for a living? And, and I started seeing that maybe there were some fibs that were being perpetrated on the general public. But I want to, don't take our word for it. This is a known fact. Everyday millionaires had some great data points on this huge line that's being put upon the American public. So let's kind of talk about what are, what do, do millionaires inherit their wealth? Yeah, I think, and I think one of the, because I had the same thought. I think when I was growing up, Brian, I thought that, uh, yeah, to be wealthy, you had to have inherited that. But I think one of the reasons I thought that is, when I was growing up, I wasn't around a lot of wealthy people, and yeah. you just said something I thought that was so interesting, is once you started working in public accounting, seeing the way that wealthy people uh, behave and the decisions they make, it did change that view. So I think a lot of it is misinformation from folks who just haven't been around wealthy people or had that kind of access. Yeah, because I was told as a child, they inherited their money and they don't pay any taxes. Those are the two things yeah. that were told to me constantly. And then once I got out there, I realized it was completely different. So what did Chris Hogan find in his research is that, listen to this stat, you millenn- the millennials out there, because Bo, you fall into the millennial generation. Yep. This blew my mind. Share with them what we found out from about millennials. Yeah, so when it comes to many millennials, 74% believe that millionaires inherited their wealth. They think 74% of millennials believe that in order to be wealthy, you had to have inherited that. You had to receive some sort of assistance to become wealthy. So the lie that I had as a child has been passed down to, to your generation, generation as yep. well. So how about the generation? Obviously, my parents were the ones telling me this. If we go to the baby boomers generation, my parents... How many of them think that wealth is inherited? Yeah, so if you look at the baby boomer generation, 52%, so still over half of that uh, generation think that millionaires inherited their wealth. So let's cut through the, the noise and actually look at the numbers. We, uh, we did our Money Guy annual wealth survey, and I'm happy to report 77% of our clients have absolutely received nothing. 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 Now, if you add, now look, the ones that did receive something, because I think this this data point is a little skewed, because there have been some inheritance, but if you take away inheritances less than $100,000, that 77% that received nothing jumps up to 89%. And and that's an incredible data point. So what that says is a lot of, of... Of the majority of clients that we work with, these successful individuals that we help them steer their financial lives, they didn't do it because someone just handed them their wealth. There were no large gifts, no inheritances. They are first generation. So all the people out there in the news media and all the people in your support life that are telling you the system is cut and cast against you, they are full of malarkey. Now, I want to give it because I have multiple resources here. So you're like, well, Brian, you just reach out to your clients. How does that tie to other people's research? The Millionaire Next Door, the one that started it all for me, 1996, the data point is 80% of people are first-generation wealth. Don't take it from the Millionaire Next Door. What about what Sarah's research, Dr. Stanley's daughter, Her number was 86% from the year 2016. And then Chris Hogan, 
I did this very inefficiently. In 2017, <laughs> he had 79% inherited nothing, but he said it had the same breakpoint in the data that people under 100,000, it was actually 84%. Yep. So all of it ties right into the point that this is a tremendous lie that's being put upon the general public. That's right. So let's talk about, well, if that is where wealth is coming from, the next question I always like to ask wealthy people is, what do you consider wealth? Are you wealthy or what do you consider wealthy? Because remember, this comes back. I had a friend in Atlanta, really close friends with about as close as a being a billionaire you can be. It was a young guy who had started, well, he's my age now, sure. but in the, he, he made Still his young, fortune ish. doing some, some coding and writing technology for internet security and other things like that. Um, has a lot of buildings named after him, pretty popular guy. And um, my, my, my friend from Georgia was really close with him. And I said, look, whenever y'all have a night where you're having adult beverages, ask him what he thinks rich is. Because yeah. somebody who's worth close to a billion dollars, I want to know their perspective. So the one night he did it. And the answer was $10 million. And I said, well, did he give you a reason why $10 million was the number and what he considers wealthy? He said, well... He said about anybody can probably over the long term make at least 5%. And if you can make 5% on $10 million, you're making $500,000 a year. If you can make an income of $500,000 a year perpetually, you're probably pretty wealthy. It's, you're doing so all right. I thought it was great that he had logic. Of course he had logic. I mean, this guy is very brilliant. So, But I wanted to do the same thing. I wanted to ask our clients, what do you consider wealthy? And I only wanted to pertain to clients that were over $3 million in net worth. Yep. And, and here's what they answered. They said 53% said to be considered wealthy, it's 3 to $5 million of assets. So for the folks who had over $3 million, you said, what is wealthy? And they answered, 53% said, Three to five million, and I should say net wealth. worth, not assets, sure, but net sure. worth. So net of the liabilities, it's three to five million dollar net worth. And then thirty one percent of our survey said it was greater than six million dollars. Okay, so thirty one percent of those folks who have more than three million, who have already reached some level of success, said in order to actually be wealthy, it's some number bigger than six million. So then I asked them one more question. I thought this was this is a completely separate question. I said. Okay, now remember, this is only people that we surveyed that were worth over $3 million. So the majority of them fell within this category that we're talking about. Do you consider yourself wealthy? So I want to recap the stats real quick. We just said that 53% of these folks said that if you have at least 3 to $5 million, you're wealthy. And then we said the question, well, do you consider yourself wealthy? Right? That's the, that's the layout. Here's the shocker. And I get it. 53% said no. They are not actually wealthy. 47% said they were. So I was like, well, how in the world do people, if we're all aspiring to be worth $3 million and greater, how do people who are actually worth that much, the majority of them think that they're not wealthy? What can explain that difference? And a lot of them, their answer was they still worry about how much money they spend or about replacing, replacing income they income. make. So yep. it makes complete sense. But I do think it's very important that when, you know, and I, and I think this is some of the feedback we get on some of the other millionaire shows. Is you guys, we talk about what does it take to make a million dollars? And a lot of you say three million is the new number. And maybe that is the truth. But I will tell you that first million is still the hardest to make. So Absolutely. we're trying to get you there as fast as possible. But I think now that we've talked about the biggest law that's put upon Americans, what is actually wealthy? 
I think the next thing we need to do is actually give those five steps to becoming a true, real millionaire. Yeah, I love it because I think a lot of people talk about um, how to become a millionaire, but they really rarely talk about the things like work, habits, sacrifices that people make. We were talking in pre-show a lot of folks think that, you know, you start here and then I work and I get to a millionaire and it's a straight line between the two. Yeah, it's the whole Drake lyric. You go, start at the bottom and now you're here. And we he, all hear these lyrics. He ended up rapping. Yeah, well, you, 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 well, you, you, you see it you saw in my own very square way. <laughs> but you start, you know, you do. And, and I love that that lyric has a catch to it because everybody knows, I just told you, 77% of our clients, but in a lot of other research, it's 80% of millionaires are first generation. No inheritances, no gifts. So that's the started at the bottom. Now we're here. And I think everybody visualizes that that's going to be a straight line. Mm -hmm. What they don't know, a lot of craziness that's going on in between there. So yes, that line starts here, ends up here, but there's lots of madness that's going on in between there. Yep. That's the that's we talk about messy middle for the parents. There's messy middle middle as you're developing wealth 100%. in your personal life too. But we can at least cut some of the noise so that while you're in that dance of going the up and down, the walk up the mountain with the yo-yo, like I talk about with investing. Yep. It's the same thing with wealth building. There's going to be ups and downs in your life, but as long as you keep making progress with that yo-yo, you're going to higher and higher ground. That's the powerful concept. But here's the steps. Number one, you got to start now. I mean, and I'm talking about don't pass go. This is not something because it's so easy in our consumer society to get completely distracted on what is the big thing to building wealth. Yeah, this one is so interesting because people all the time, Matt, because when they find out we're financial advisors, they find out that we live in the financial world. I get asked this question all the time. Hey, uh, when when's a good time to start investing? Right. Yeah, so I saw this coronavirus thing last week. Should I start investing? Should I get some money going after that? And we always give the exact same answer. We always say that the best time to start investing, best time to start building wealth was yesterday. Yeah. Second best time is always today. And the millionaire step one of starting now falls right into that. So let's find some teachable moments from our wealth survey that we did. We asked our clients. Now, this was all, all of our money got clients. We said, when did it actually become a primary focus to look at your personal finance? Yeah, when was it something that you thought was enough, that was important enough that you should focus your attention on it? 37% was between 18 to 24. So there was, there's a chunk of these that really got an early start on it. 40% was 25 to 34. So as you can see, 77% of our clients that are millionaires it was before they were 35 years of age. But I don't want that to turn, because we get comments all the time saying, man, your content really connects for 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds, but what about me? I'm in my 40s, or I'm in my 50s. Is it too late for me? No, we've got 13% of our successful clients are 35 to 44 is when they started focusing on their, their yep. building wealth. 8.2%, so getting close to 10%, were between the ages of 45 to 54. So guess what, guys? Even if you're behind, you can do this still. You just have to – it's going to be a little harder. I mean, that, 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 that squiggly line to get you to from – Starting at the bottom and now you're here is going to be a little, a little harder, squigglier. but you're going to have to, you can do it. I mean, I'm telling you, we've got clients, case studies, that this is definitely something you can do. And then the next law that's put out there on the public is that, well, yeah, the only way you can do it is by taking crazy risks. These guys must have invented something. They must have, you know, started some crazy entrepreneurial business or they're, they're executives. They're, the, they're the CEO they, of I mean, th this is what people think is how wealth is created. I am happy to report 
65% of our clients made their money the slow and steady way through retirement savings and just starting to get to get to work. Make the money work for you with the army of dollar bills. So I think that's what's I think it's really interesting. If you think about the two things that we just shared. Number one, the majority of our clients who've had some level of success realize early on they ought to play some attention on that. They ought to focus yeah. on that. But what they didn't realize is they had to go do anything special, anything amazing to become successful, to build wealth. It was really just about being steady and consistent over time, starting at whatever age it was that they started and continuing that path forward. Well, I mean, because you look at our YouTube comment section and everybody's always like, that investing, that's such a chumps game. You know, what are you talking about? Nobody's nobody's making money. I'm like, how do y'all think I've had a two two decade career doing financial planning? If people never make money doing it this way, well, how do you think I stay employed? Yep. The, the YouTube channel, by the way, didn't come first, and that's where I was making my money, and that supported the losing habit of financial planning. Being a financial planner was paying the bills well before creating success in financial planning before we started doing YouTube channels. So the, the the cart didn't get put in front of the horse. But I do think if you guys haven't gone and looked at, we've done a show on the four paths to wealth. Yep. And I think it's crazy if we don't tell people these, these four paths. There's virtuoso. You know, we've talked about that. That's somebody who's just so gifted. I think when I did the episode, oh, I even know. dressed like him. We know. Justin Timberlake was the guy we put as a virtuoso because he's just, he's one of those people that when God had the salt shaker of, of talents, he kind of got a little carried away. <laughs> and so you got the guy who's not only not bad looking, but he can sing, he can dance. He's a scratch He golfer. can act. He's, a, he's good athletically. So that's the virtuoso. That's a very small percentage of the population. Then you have the senior executive is another path to success. And then you, of course, do have the dreamer, the entrepreneur, yep. the people that are creating something just off of, you know, that's your business owners and so forth. But then the last one was just saver slash investor. And, and you would think, okay, well, if I had to guess between those four, it would probably, I don't know, maybe it's 25, 25, yep. 25, but no, tell, give them the rest of the story. Yeah, what I think is just so, what I think is so uh, wonderful is that anyone can be that. When you, if you're not born a virtuoso, it's hard to be a virtuoso. If you don't have the capacity or the opportunity to climb the corporate ladder and get to the C-suite, then maybe that's not you. But everyone, and I, even even I saw one of the comments in our live chat. If you haven't, if you don't watch this show live, you totally should because our live chats are wonderful. They're like, yeah, I feel like a lot of millionaires I know were school teachers and were uh, police officers and were fill in the blank, not necessarily high income jobs, yeah. but folks who were consistent and saved through time. And our research of our clients solidified that. It showed that exact same thing. Yeah. And just to kind of put an exclamation point on it, entrepreneurs, the risk takers, 14%. Senior executives, 14%. I mean, it is one of those things, time and discipline in the market is all you need. That is yep. the recipe for success. 65%, that's you guys. If you're sitting there and wondering, how do I create wealth? Step one, start now. It really is turning that dream into a plan, turning it into reality so it's grounded and actually can start working for you. Number two, master deferred gratification. Yeah, we talk about this one, but I think we've even done a video in the past where we talk about the number one secret, the number one key to wealth building is figuring out the one concept of, and I think you say it this way, trading a little bit of today for a lot more of tomorrow. Yeah, it's, I mean, and, and I've, I've talked about this in the past. If you want your future self to come up you and not give you a high five for a job well done, but I'm talking about 
give you a bear hug and maybe even a sloppy kiss on the cheek for just because they're sobbing with so much excitement that you made the sacrifices in your 20s and 30s, this is what is going to do it. And, and you know, you look at books like, you know, I've got every one of these books up here. What is The Millionaire Next Door talks about you have to live on less than you make. Yep. This is it. We don't have an income problem for most Americans. We have a spending problem, and I get it. You're, we live in a consumer society where Every time, I mean, my daughter, y'all know she's she's on the spectrum, and you know, we every time a car a, a commercial comes on, she goes, "Dad, they're trying to sell us stuff," and I'm like, "Yeah, you get it." I mean, even my my ten year old daughter who has developmental issues gets she that we it. live in a society where everything is being put on us to buy, consume, spend. Mm-hmm. You don't need to save the money. That's not actually what is going to create success. And I want to tell you, we practice what we preach, and this is one of the things I am so thankful for my money guy family because you guys you gave me positive feedback when I shared this because I had a proud papa moment just in the last week that I published on social media is that my daughter my oldest daughter who's 16 she babysits she babysits for us at a discounted rate. And then she babysits. And that rate is not offered to family and friends, yeah, unfortunately. No. You, you play street. You play rack rate. That's but it's, um, it is one of those things where she babysits also at the church when they have events and things like that. So she gets paid. And um, I owed her 100 bucks because the, ch- the checks come in from the church. She doesn't have her own banking account. And then I also owed her some money. So I sent her this text chain. And I thought this was so great that after she did it, I was like, well, heck, I ought to share that because it shows her mutant mindset is already mm-hmm. kicking in at a young age. I let her know. I actually owed her $103. Now, I did bad math while I was typing this, and I said, look, I owe you approximately $100. Do you want me to give you this money, or do you just want me to do put it in your Roth? Because remember, I do a dollar-for-dollar match for my daughter, trying to encourage her. And look, she does have enough earned income. I know people were trying to catch that, saying, how do you do more than what she actually made? There's more stuff in the background. But we make sure that we file the tax return. We pay the self-employment tax, because people have asked me that too. I think it is such a teachable concept. I gladly pay that 15.3% self-employment tax, because this concept warms my heart. My daughter passed the teenage marshmallow test is what I call this because she's showing she understands deferred gratification is so powerful. And you know, we even had a comment that just came in and says, as a 24-year-old, this is the hardest part. Deferred gratification, it's not easy. But the fact of the matter is, is building wealth and being successful financially, it's incredibly simple, but it's not always easy. You do have to have the discipline. You do have to have the wherewithal to understand I need to give up a little bit of today, and if I can do that, I can have a much, much, much better tomorrow. Well, I mean, you think about it. We do so many shows, I, and that's why I, I know the data is coming out from Bankrate every year around January that shows, and it's just, I can set my clock to it. Mm-hmm. 60% of Americans can't come up with $1,000. I mean, that means you are living paycheck, paycheck to, to paycheck. paycheck. And so deferred gratification is definitely the thing that we need needs improvement on the most for the average American out there. So let's look at, if we talk about cash reserves, if we want to know if if 60% of Americans can't come up with $1,000, what are wealthy people? What are people who are part of the money guy, financial mutant family here who have become abound wealth clients? What are they doing? And here's what I think is interesting. Our wealth survey results show that 98% of money guy clients have greater than one month of cash reserves. 
81% had more than three months of reserves, and 41% had greater than six months of cash reserves. So what this shows me is if I want to take a lesson from successful people who have done very well, who have been able to build wealth, one of the things they do is they make sure they're following the order of operations. And inside the order of operations is you have an adequate emergency reserve fund so that when the poop hits the fan, you are prepared for that. You have Money for that emergency, money to make sure you're covered. Some random bad thing happens on a Tuesday, you're going to have money in the bank to make sure it doesn't blow up your financial life. Yep. That is why cash reserves are so important. I mean, we just went through this whole panic with the markets. I don't even know if we're through it yet sure. because of sicknesses, coronavirus, and all the other stuff. And I have people who tell me, hey, I need the money. I, I'm thinking about, I'm going to need this money in six months, but I saw your video do you think it's okay if I go put it in the market, make some quick bucks? And no. I'm like, no, no. If you can't leave the money in the market for five to seven years, keep it liquid. And things you definitely need in the next 18 to 36 months, keep them very liquid. Yep. This is why your cash reserves is so important. So let's now, I want to kind of talk about, because I, I felt like we needed one more data point to prove the point of deferred gratification. And I went out there and I know Chris Hogan, I've told you guys, I like this book. He, Chris is a neighbor of ours. We, we like the research he did in Everyday Millionaires. And I was like, well, if we know that 65% of our clients got this from slow and steady wins the sure. race of investing, they're investors over the long term. Here's the data that um, you, know, you need to understand about long-term investing as soon as possible, is that 79% of millionaires invest inside a company plan. So what that means is they take advantage of the opportunities that are available to me. They do do things like saying, okay, this 401k, even though I'd rather take this money, I'd rather go spend it now, I'm going to understand that there's deferred gratification that takes place, and I'm going to put this money in this account that I won't have access to for 10, 20, 30, maybe 40 years, yep. but I'm willing to do that. Chris's research found that 79% of millionaires did that exact thing and funded employer-sponsored retirement accounts. Now, you guys know we love, and we tell you to get to 20 to 25% of your gross income towards long-term savings and get that money invested as fast as possible. You want to create that automatic investment plan. Chris Hogan also found out 70% of millionaires saved more than 10% of their income throughout their working years. It's just automatic for the people. You're saving at least 10%. Nice. And I'm telling you, 20 25% is what we actually think the target should be. Get to that as fast as you possibly can. Start early, often, and make the money work for you. You're going to be super rewarded in the long term. That leads to number three. Don't waste anything. So I think deferred gratification is probably the hardest that yep. we've mentioned. I think not recognizing how often we do waste things that matter, whether it be money or time or resources, the sooner you can recognize that and understand where you should be putting your time, energy, and efforts, the sooner you're going to be able to really impact your wealth building journey. So Here's what I think is interesting, and we didn't talk about this in show prep, but I, I can't help where our studio is located. We have quite a few of our young advisors here that are sitting for the March CFP exam yep. in just the next week or so, and they have been studying. It's not uncommon when we leave the office in the evening, they're still pounding out for studying, not working on client issues. They're studying, preparing for this big certification exam, you know. Then after you take, and I can remember those days for me and you as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have multiple certifications. And I can remember when I was preparing for those exams, right after you take the test and you have your first day without studying for the exam, you're like, oh my gosh, 
24 hours is such a longer <laughs> period of time than I realized because I, I, it shows me how wasteful sometimes I think I am yeah. with my time. We have a saying, don't get busy doing nothing. If you really evaluated your life, ask yourself, how much of my time? Now, I want you to enjoy life, but I do want to make sure you're taking enough hours out of the day to actually fuel those goals so you're not just wasting a valuable research resource, which is your time. So we want to actually give you guys something you can use. If you haven't gone out to our website, you can go to moneyguy.com, click on the resource page. One of the resources we have available out there is called the Portrait of Today's Millionaire. And we actually yeah. walk you through some of the things like, okay, how much is the average American exercise? What's the average millionaire? How often they exercise? Uh, how often does the average American play video games? Yeah. Uh, how often does the average millionaire play video games? It walks you Social through. Social media. I mean, how, there's all kind of data it, points. How often they read. It walks you through the traits that the average millionaire has. So you can go look at that. Not that you want to replicate behavior, but you can see if I want to benchmark other successful people, where are they focusing their time, energy, and efforts? This is a great resource. Go out to moneyguide.com, click on the resource page, and you can download this right now today. So we know time, your money. I mean, all these things, you just need to be a good steward with all of your resources. So I wanted to kind of focus on, you've talked about the portrait of today's millionaire, but on our wealth survey, let's talk about all the other things that sure. you can focus on to creating. It's all part of your wealth journey. What can create success? We found out education is a great investment in yourself. 92% of our clients that did the wealth survey have at least a college degree. So I, I thought that was pretty big. Now, we say all the time, going to college is not something you must do to be successful. We do have some case studies. However, investing in yourself and actually increasing your education is something that statistically shows maybe it'll set you up to be able to improve your lot through life. So, However, there's a caveat. Well, well I, I thought it was interesting because, by the way, all the CPAs we have on staff have master's degree, except for this guy snuck in with a bachelor's degree. 44% of that 92% did just have a bachelor's degree. So that's close to half. Got you know We're just getting a bachelor's degree. You didn't have to go get the master's to do it. But this is the part, and this is what you're probably getting. This is getting the caveat. Because this is go dogs, by the way. <laughs> this is the thing. 63% went to public universities. Now, Brian, I'm going to ask you a question, because I know that you went to the University of Georgia. Why was it that you made the, the decision to go to the University of Georgia? <laughs> and if y'all don't know, I always give you a little more context. I get trolls that hate this. My father played at the University of Florida. He was actually left tackle for Steve Spurrier down at the University of Florida. So you think, growing up a Gator, University of Georgia would probably be the last place that I'd be caught dead. Do you know why I went to University of Georgia? It's this little thing called in-state tuition. Yep. I mean, I will tell you, because this is before, University of Georgia is now known for Hope Scholarships and all that. That was all before me, guys. I'm old enough that I, you know, that it was, it was, I was, I was predating some of that stuff. So it is, it came on board. I did get the Hope Scholarship while I was in college. Yeah. It's better to be lucky than good sometimes. <laughs> but it is one of those reasons. That is why I'm a Georgia Bulldog. In-state tuition turned a Florida Gator parent into a proud papa of a bulldog. Absolutely. So, And I think that shows, remember, a majority of our clients, 77%, 
89% if you count less than 100,000 are self-made. So it makes sense that the mm-hmm. public universities are where that's a breeding ground because it's not the people going to the very expensive colleges. I think another thing that if you're a parent of a child and you say, you know what, I didn't have XYZ growing up, so I'm going to set my kids up for success and I'm going to make sure that I send them to the most prestigious Ivy League and the top-notch school, that may be fine, but if that's putting you in a poor financial situation – Maybe that's not as valuable as just into a local public university to go get a really great education. That's just something to think yeah. about when you think about how much debt you take on as a parent and even more, how much debt you encourage your child to take on as a student. Well, it's, it's one of those things, pay attention to the major. We, we tell you guys, if you go take student loan debt, make sure that you're not building up so much student loan debt that it's exceeding what the first year income. If, you, if, you are, if you're doing a job and it is incurring six figures worth of student loan debt and you know you're going to come out making $30,000 a year, there's a disconnect yep. there. You are, you are way under the gun, so pay attention to that. So that's education. Relationships, because remember, you're not wasting anything if you're going to mm-hmm. be a good user of resources. 84% are married with 82% of those are on their first marriage. Yeah. So again, you you think about when they make big life decisions, like the decision to get married, a number of folks, they try to put a lot of effort and energy on the front end to make sure they're making that decision right. Well, I think it's interesting. On YouTube, we get a lot of comments from guys who are saying, never get married, never get married, never get married. What my advice to you would be, Measure twice, cut once, because obviously there is a lot of bitterness, a lot of unhappiness that people are putting out there in the YouTube world. But if you do it right, I think being married is actually a very valuable resource, as shown by our statistics, that if you do this, measure twice, cut once, and actually find the right partner... 84% 84% are married. So think about that. And it's not, it's not like we have a house full, a business full of all single people. It's just that there is something to that. Now, one of the questions we had a second ago in the chat, Brian, that I think is, <clears throat> is fantastic. I said, well, hey, I'm, I'm curious. You know, you asked all these cl- clients these questions. What, what's the average income of a millionaire? Because surely it has to be high income earners, right? Surely it has to be folks that make really high incomes in order to be able to become millionaires. Yeah, and we have that stat, that data point. So, never made $100,000 a year. 41% made less than $200,000 a year. So this is household income. So this is two, you know, two individuals talking about household incomes. What's that? 59% 59 made less less than than $200,000. With close to 20% of the total number making, never making a hundred grand. So I think that's a very valuable thing. Like I said, it goes back to don't waste anything. Yes. If you, if you're going to make less than a hundred grand, that does not mean you'll never be a millionaire. It just means you have to be much more efficient with how you allocate your resources. Vehicles. I talk about this all the time. For 20-year-olds or 25-year-olds, 30-year-olds, I mean, you could even push this thing up. If you want to know what is napalm for blowing up your financial life, it's usually going and buying the expensive whip. Yep. Everybody feels like they got to go reward just, themselves he said Drake for the college. And he just I mean, I, we're hitting on it today, Bo, because I just want people to know vehicles, the, the public is telling you successful people drive nice cars. Is that the case? And I remember it rocking the world when this book came out in 1996, and the majority of millionaires, the most popular car that millionaires drove was a Ford F-150 yep. truck. Now, when Sarah updated the, the research, Ford F-150s were still very popular, but now Toyotas were also, Toyotas and Hondas were very popular among the millionaires. You're like, wait a minute, 
That's not in the videos I see on Millionaires. That's what I was. I just remember when I used to watch uh, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous with Robin Leach. When I used to watch Cribs, no one would ever bring in the garage and say, "Hey, hey, hey, check out my F one fifty or have you seen my Corolla?" They just weren't saying that. So it, it t- ties into the fact that, and here's what we found: ninety two percent drop vehicles over six years. If you ask them how long do you drive your vehicles. They're not flipping them every two years. You just don't see that behavior. 92% drive vehicles for over six years with 48% driving over 10 years and 0% answered one to two years. So you don't see anybody flipping assets, fl- flipping vehicles. Any of our clients, of our entire client population we polled, none of them are trading in cars in the first two years. It's just not, it's not good behavior. So if you find yourself going through a lot of cars, remember it's a fast depreciating, it's even questionable to call it an asset. Unless it's like a 67, you know, GTO, (laughs) this thing is not the type of asset that's actually appreciating. So pay attention to that stuff. And then how to be efficient with your resources. How could I not talk about this without once again, paying respect to the millionaire next door where it's talked about the Millionaire Next Door formula that we've modified mm-hmm. for people under 40, because we know I love their formula, which is take your income times your age, and then you can either divide it by 10, or if you do it Bo's way, you multiply it by 10%. It gets yep. you the same result. That is going to tell you what the AAW, the average accumulator of wealth number is for you based upon your age and income. There's a catch, though. All my people under 40, you're going to find, you're like, there's no way I can make this. Either your income's going up too fast or you haven't had enough time for assets yep. to accumulate. But give them the modification. Yeah, so what you want to do is on the denominator, you want to take 10 plus the number of years until you get to 40 years old. So it's your age times your income divided by 10 plus however many years you have until 40. So if you're 32 years old, you would divide by 18. 10 plus 8. Yeah. So, or 30, you do it by 20. So it just, it makes it where the number is more realistic and it phases out. So as you get from 30, the number's 10. When you're 32, it's eight. When you're 39, you're going to divide by 11. So by the time you're 40 years of age, the traditional formula for Millionaire Next Door works. But why is this formula important is because if you do the formula, whatever the number spits out, that's your AAW, your average average accumulator of wealth. That's where you should be, but that doesn't make you successful. Successful is a PAW, a prodigious that's accumulator right. of wealth, which is multiplying that AAW times two. And that is the thing that you've got to figure out where do I fall on that? And by the way, what you don't want to be is in the quadrant that's to the left, which is an under accumulator of wealth. So if you're below the number, you know you need to probably pick up steam a that's little right. bit, You know, grab the socks, pull them up. Those bootstraps need to get pulled a little bit harder so you can make things actually happen for you. You just go and pull up your socks and your bootstraps. Grab them both. It's all connected. <laughs> it's all down there. You got to get to work is what we're trying to say. So that's slide number four because this is a big one. If cars are the napalm, why are cars? Not only because they're depreciation, but typically typically because you're faking it until you make it or at least attempting to make it and you're using debt as the crutch to help get you there. And that is a disaster. So step number four to being a, a millionaire, to building millionaire status is you have to, have to, have to, have to understand debt, what it is and how it works. And I've made this analogy and I'm going to use it again because I've gotten some positive affirmation that people like it. I look at debt 
is a very dangerous, sharp knife. Yes, it is awesome for slicing and dicing some vegetables, but if you use it just wrong enough, you can lose a limb. I mean, you literally can lose a, an a appendage, limb. A, limb. a finger. You know, I mean, but it is one of those things where you need to be careful. Dead can be very useful, but it is also very dangerous. Yep. If you're not scared while you're using it, you're using it wrong. So mm -hmm. you got to pay attention to how you're using debt. So let's talk about how you set up good, healthy boundaries of understanding debt. We talk about this housing needs to be less than 25% of your gross income. If you listen to our show for any amount of time, you know we talk about you ought to aim to put 20% down on the house, but sometimes when you're first starting out, maybe you can't quite get to that 20% down payment number. Even if you can't do that, the 25% is something you need to hold fast to because that's going to be one of the biggest purchases you ever make. You want to make sure you don't get out ahead of your skis because it's something that can derail the rest of your wealth building journey. Yeah, I mean, sure, people on the outside are going to look at go, wow, that's a big house, but you're going to end up being house rich, life, life poor, poor. Yep. and you're going to be looking at all your empty rooms going, why do I feel so bad about my life? It's because you're faking it. You've yep. got to make sure you Love have it. the resources and the income as good behaviors. Vehicles, same thing. We have a rule. It's called 23-8. down payment, 3% financing on that. You can amortize over three years. And then you're not going to let the car payments exceed 8% of your income. That's right. 20% down, three years or 36 months of financing. And you don't want it to ever exceed more than 8% of your household income. And there's one more caveat. Don't do luxury brands unless you can pay them off same as cash in 12 months. If you are trying to, you know, go ahead and flex and buy yourself the Mercedes, the BMW, I'm even right now until we do additional research, even putting Tesla in mm -hmm. that category, you better treat it same as cash and have that thing paid off quickly. Because, well, here's why I'm giving you these rules. The 23-8 is supposed to be a grace rule. I'm letting you do this because I recognize sometimes in your 20s and 30s, you need reliable transportation. You don't want just a beater because it could impact your job. So you might have to actually go finance a loan, but you don't want that that grace of letting you have some flexibility actually make you feel like you have permission to go flex and make your life bigger than it actually is on your income. So that's why we put 23.8 on good, reliable transportation. But as soon as you get out, paint outside the lines and you try to get a luxury vehicle, you better be able to pay it off in 12 months. So Brian, we talked about kind of the biggies. We talked about housing. We talked about autos. What do you say we get a little controversial here? Let's talk about something that maybe. uh, Maybe might be a little interesting to our audience. Well, credit cards. Credit cards. Because everybody knows credit cards by one of our favorite neighbors. And also, he's, you know, Chris is part of the, the, the Ramsey family. And they know we like them. We don't, we don't throw shade their way. But it is one of those things when you ask yourself, do millionaires actually use credit cards? Great because question. Because they, they, they're dangerous. We know they're dangerous. But do successful people use credit cards? Our research shows... 97% of our millionaires use credit cards. So I, I want to say this. There are some folks out there say, no way, no how, don't use it, don't need to have it. If you can't pay cash, don't pay for it. Yet, yet, 97% of the successful folks that we polled, successful folks that are clients of our firm, say that they use credit cards. Now, there's an asterisk there because to successfully use a credit card, got to pay it off monthly. That's this thing deal. is a convenience. There's a lot of benefits to it. But if you're not using it appropriately, if you're not scared in the fact that if you can't pay it off monthly, you've got to go cold turkey on this mm -hmm. thing. I am full on in support of the fact that if you can't pay this thing off monthly, 
you better not use it. So, and that's how our clients are using it. But we look, I want to give you guys, because I don't want this thing to be an ivory tower type lesson, where because we went ahead and we put a question to our clients and we said, okay, we know you're using credit cards, but be honest. Was there ever a point in your life, ever in your journey towards financial success, that you actually carried a balance? And maybe that's a bold question to ask people to make them be vulnerable and share it with us. And by the way, we then put an open space for them to give us their feedback on how they were doing this if they ever had a credit card. Every one of them loaded it up because I think there's a, I don't know if it's shame, but it's definitely people wanted you to know this was a mistake mm-hmm. that I made, but I made it through it. I've overcome this obstacle yep. and now I'm in a much better place because here's what we found. of our clients have at some point carried a credit card balance. Wow. So I think that's a little bit different because if we read through some of the statistics, we've been told a different story, I feel like, right? We've been told that millionaires just don't do it. They don't, they didn't, they, they never, ever, no way, no how ever carry a credit card well, balance. Well, and Chris, Chris shares in his book, 73% of millionaires have never carried a credit card balance in their lives. So I don't know if his data pool is a little different than sure. ours, but, and I know self-confessionally, I can tell you there was a time when I was in my early 20s, I carried a balance for a brief second. And I shame. I mean, I will tell you, yeah. shame. I mean, it was one of those things that I did not like it. I knew it was bad. I knew I'd gotten out, gotten out over my skis. And, and it's just one of those things that I think that is the common trend that I hear with a lot of our clients is, yes, they have fallen into this before, this trap. But they used it as a learning opportunity, and they quickly corrected, and then didn't let that define their journey towards success. They very quickly got on a pay it off every month, and if you can't do it, don't use it. And I just think, I'm going to read through some of these quotes really, really quickly. This is what clients said when we asked them, okay, well, why did you do it? They said, I did it when I got out of college and was paycheck to paycheck. I did it when I was young and poor. Uh, During college and early in life, we had an unhealthy relationship with credit cards, but then we figured it out. Uh, When I just got out of school, I carried some credit card debt. I stopped that as soon as possible. I only had in my early 20s when I got fired from a job and was trying to make ends meet. That was the only time. Uh, When I was young, I got in a bind, had a balance. After that, never. When I was young and broken, had no backup money. So what you can see is this was like emergency contingency. What you don't hear these successful people saying is, oh, I still do it now. Oh, I carry it from month to month now. Oh, this is something that's commonplace. This is something that was ancient history in their lives, and they figured out how not to do that and move on from it. If you're going to use credit cards, you have to, have to, have to, have to pay them off every month. So if you're listening to this and you have a credit card balance, let this be a wake-up call. Doesn't mean you're in the ditch, but it definitely means this is something you need to correct and get right in your life because people who are actually on the journey to building substantial wealth, they don't struggle with this. They might have had it in their their journey. It was it was a footnote in their history, but it was not something they actually struggle with as they're building wealth. So go ahead and use this as a wake-up moment. I wanted to close it out on debt, Bo. Student loans. Okay, yeah. Now, this is one of those things, did not put this in the wealth survey, survey, put it in as a question I will be asking next year. I've already come up with a bunch of ideas on how I want to do the same thing next year. But I did look at what Chris had in Everyday Millionaires, and the stat he had on page 67 was 68% of millionaires with a college degree 
never took out student loans. Now, this is interesting, and I think some of the statistics will probably suggest this, that like the landscape has changed. Yeah. Uh, college tuition's gotten more expensive than it used to be. Perhaps it's more difficult to make it through university now without having a student loan. Even if that's the case, the thing you have to be aware of is even if you are someone who has to take on student loans or if your children have to take on student loans, the people who've been able to successfully accumulate wealth are able to knock that out early on in their career. And one of the ways you do that, you've already said this, Brian, is you keep your student loan debt to less than what you expect to make in your first year in the working world. If you can do that, you're going to set yourself up for success. Yeah, everything needs to have a plan. It needs to have a place. That is what success. If you turn dreams into reality, there's got to be a plan behind it. And definitely having a plan to attack debt is going to be your best friend towards building a wealth and success journey that you'll be proud of in the long term. So, okay, Brian, uh, when we sent out the email, it was four steps to become a millionaire. And we were talking in pre-show, we're like, well, we missed one. There's one big one that we missed, and we ought to add it in here. So there is actually a fifth step, and I'm going to argue this is a pretty important one. Well, it is, and, and, and I'm going to give you credit. Here it is. Number five, know your why. And it ties into exactly what I was just talking about is that you need to have a plan or bring purpose to your life. Because the other thing is, is then I've talked about this on many shows on what brings happiness. We know that stat of $75,000 is the income level for happiness because that covers your basic necessities. Mm -hmm. But that does not mean that you're actually fulfilled. Right. Fulfilled comes from, fulfillment comes from actually having purpose to your life, meaning you wake up in the morning and you feel like in your own little way, you are helping make the world a better place. Yep. I will tell you, Firsthand, Money Guy Show is a lot of my fulfillment is because I know so many of you guys reach out to us. You share how we're impacting your journey. That brings me so much happiness and fulfillment that it does become part of my why. And we want you to do that on your financial life, too. And we thought it was an important thing because one of the things, how did I get fed the lie that all wealthy people come from inherited money and don't pay taxes is because there was some negativity sure. associated in my household towards successful people. And one of the feedback things we got from our listeners who took this wealth survey was, don't let the negative people get you down. And we even have a research question we did on this. We asked them, are you an optimist or are you a pessimist? Yeah. Because that's a very important. Do you look at the world with glass half full or glass half empty? Because it definitely has an impact. And we found out that 81% of our clients describe themselves as optimists. So I think it's really interesting. If you have this mindset that I can be successful, I am successful, I can defer gratification, I can invest, I can save, I can do all these sort of things. It's amazing how the power of mind can lead to being a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you believe that you can, you actually end up doing the things that you believe you can do. Well, yeah, you got to control that inner voice. It is more powerful than you ever realize. And I had a few data points because I was like, that's an interesting stat. I went and pulled back to see what Chris had found in his Everyday Millionaires. Listen to these two, these three stats that I found. 82 so we had 81%. Sure. Chris found in his own research, 82% described themselves as optimists. 96% of millionaires said they enjoy what they do for a living. And then 64% said they love, with capital letters, love their jobs. That's, that's an important thing. If you don't understand what you're working towards and why you're working towards that thing, you're, it's going to be really hard for you to stay the path. If you understand your why and understand what the vision is, what the horizon is, it's going to make the hard times, the squiggly line that Brian talked about, much easier. If you know the why, it's going to allow you to keep on the path. So I want to pivot now. This is the question 
that we got the most feedback on, and I think it is so powerful. If you could tell your 25-year-old self any financial tip in the world, what would it be? And we were trying to figure out, is there something that we can create teachable moments? Was there a theme in the advice? Because these are successful people. These are people who have figured out life. We went and pulled, and we looked at the dub subsection of data that was for people who had $3 million and greater. These are the people definitely life has worked out sure. financially in a good place. What are they saying they wish they could tell their 25-year-old self? And are there teachable things and themes that we can put together from this? So uh, we did. We pulled out some themes, and we're just going to kind of share the theme, and then we'll kind of walk through some of the exact quotes we have. So the very first theme, no surprise, the one thing that wealthy folks wish that they would have said to their 25-year-old self was, start early and save more. I mean, and look, it's, like I said, if you want to make your older self, when it meets its younger self in the future, give you a big bear hug and go, thank you, thank you, thank you for doing this right. It is to start early and save more. And here's the first one. Put your money to work as fast as possible. Today's the, yesterday was the best day. Today's the second best day. Here's the second one. Uh, save more earlier and set it up so that it happens automatically right out of any paycheck. Don't even let yourself see the money. Set yourself up to pay yourself first. Have it happen automatically. Do one more because I want to close it out with that last one. All right. Next one is uh, save more overall. Spend more on travel and perspective widening experiences. So save more, but also when you do spend money, spend money on the things that actually matter. Yeah. Enjoy life. And then here's the last one. I thought this was a great one for this subsection of start early and save save more. Start saving 20% now, you moron. <laughs> and don't touch it for anything. Remember, he's talking to himself. I he's not it. rude. He's just telling his younger self, get to work on saving that money. <laughs> so here's the second thing of we could see in themes on advice you give your 25-year-old self is discipline and control. Man, that sounds familiar and sounds a lot like deferred gratification. It's a beautiful uh, money guy echo. And this is what the first quote says. And I, and I love this because we did this. Both you and I did this, Brian. Live cheap in your 20s and 30s. Let the compounding interest machine set you free. Whenever I go talk to groups of young folks, I just tell them, listen, trust me on this. The first money you save is going to be the most powerful money you ever save. If you can not go do that thing or buy that thing or have that thing, and you can just put that aside, you're going to be amazed at what those dollars can do for you. And then do without some things. It ties into exactly what you said. Do without some things to maximize retirement savings. Uh, the next one, it's just like, hey, you don't need expensive things. Save. Gosh, you know how much money I've blown uh, in my marriage on expensive things? That You know, like kids, they have a way with expensive things to kind of make them less expensive. Uh, I wish I would have done that better early on. And then the closing. Don't listen to the negativity from others who've not succeeded. Oh, that's such a, a lot of noise out there, guys, from people who have bitterness in their hearts because it didn't work out for them. Don't let that shape the picture of your financial life. You can do this. And then that leads to the third thing we had on here, life in general. What's sure. some general life advice that was given on what our clients, our successful clients, would tell their 25-year-old self? The first one was, stop trying to be so clever. <laughs> Not that I would have listened is what he put in a parentheses Man, afterwards. I feel like I'm still trying to. I feel like I still try to tell myself that over and over. Well, and look, even with the the financial investing, I mean, I think I went through this. I mean, I went through, and I mean, I did individual stocks. I done options. I did you know crazy sector funds like the Internet mm -hmm. Fund. I mean, so I was always trying to be so clever, outsmarting. Just 
just buy the index fund. Love Quit it. being so daggum smart. Here's the next one. And this one, Brian, I've heard this from you so much. And this resonates like deep down in my soul. So I don't know if this is financial advice, but I tell my 25-year-old self to enjoy the journey and the people along the way more. Man, that's powerful. So I talk about knowing your why and seeing the destination, but there's something about the path. There's something about the journey to getting there. If you can stop and enjoy it, it's going to make it a much more pleasant journey. And then the last one. This is a great one to kind of close the show out on because it's the best advice that was given in this entire thing. Listen, listen, I didn't write this, and you didn't write this. You said best advice given. You should probably perk up if you're out there in the world. So start listening and following the Money Guy programs now with an exclamation that's point. just wisdom that's just wisdom right there i mean this was so much fun and by the way if you could see on here i have almost a half a page of additional questions that as i was because this was our first year and i tried on purpose to just ask questions on the survey and draft the survey off of what we thought would be interesting to us but i could not help but come up with even more mm-hmm. questions and that's what i love about having a living breathing resource that we're going to be able to go out to every year and talk to our successful money guy listeners and clients to get their feedback on this. And I can't, I can't help but bring up the point. We have a deliverable yep. that we've shared on what is the portrait of today's millionaire look like how do you get that, Bo? Yeah, go out to the website, moneyguy.com. Click on the resource page. We don't just have the portrait of the middle. We have a ton out there. But if you're curious about how the average millionaire behaves versus how the average American behaves, go check out that deliverable, moneyguy.com. Click on resources. It is free and available. Go get it. Go check it out. And if you guys are wondering, how do we have hundreds of successful clients from Money Guy Show to interview? It's called the Abundance yep. Cycle. We've been doing this show since 2006. I've been planting seeds in people's brains. They've come, they've learned, because we're just giving it away. You come and learn, you apply these concepts, and what do you know? Over time, it turned in, turns into significant wealth, and you're going to probably reach a point where you say, I need a co-pilot. I need somebody to help take this to the next level. Yep. And you're going to remember the guys that planted the seeds, and you're going to come back to abound wealth and the abundance cycle. It is so powerful, and it continues to bear fruit. And we thank you, thank you, thank you. Everybody who prepared the survey, thank you. I hope we're going to send out a special link to our clients that did this. Let them know you are creating teachable content that is going to better the next generation of future millionaires and successful people. And this is going to be a living, breathing tool that we will continue to update over time. If you're someone out there who uh, has not checked out a live stream, make sure you listen to our live streams. Because what we're going to do is when we turn off the, uh, we're going to leave the cameras on, we're going to turn off the recording, and we're going to do a QA. and a And we're going to give away, one of the questions we had on here was someone saying, how do I get one of those tumblers? It's so easy. You just hang out with us for a Q&A, ask us a really good question that intern Daniel likes, and we will send you a tumbler. I also had someone else say, hey, you know, I've been following you guys since you were at 21,000 subscribers. And here we sit as of this recording at 55,000, a little over 600. Our goal this year is 100,000 subscribers. We want to close 2020 out at 100,000. Now, look, we started the year right a little over 40,000. We've almost... 50% growth in just the first few months. So that's a very bold goal. It's not going to happen unless you guys go subscribe, tell your friends and family, and remember, ring the bell so you get the notifications. That's how you find out when we do guerrilla-style live shows or other things that we're doing. you got to go get the notifications, but please go subscribe so we can get this to 100,000. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Money Guy team, out. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston. Brian Preston is a principal with Abound Wealth Management, 
Abound Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Security and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with the securities laws and regulations. Abound Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment or legal advice. (laughs) 